Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Wednesday night edition of the pod. Great game between the Warriors and Lakers. We're going to talk about that. It did a Twitter NBA show on it. Danny has already recorded a podcast on it. But still, we want to talk to you more about that. And that's the last time I'm going to yell because my voice is uh, starting to abandon me here. We're sponsored today by Stamps.com. Use that cap space code to get our special offer at Stamps.com. That includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. So Danny, this was really an enjoyable game. And I think the number one takeaway for me is that the LA Lakers defense looked very legitimate in this game. Absolutely. They were contesting shots. They were not giving up as many seams. And they had a rough early stretch where they were were conceding a lot of backdoors. Durant had one where he completely fooled Brandon Ingram. Ingram thought it was going to be handoff and he over played it and then Durant just blew by him I think Draymond had the pass there and a couple of a couple of Zaza Pachulia plays actually including one that we questioned whether it was a dunk or not but after that when they settled down the Warriors were not getting nearly as many good looks they were the Lakers were generating turnovers they were getting nice contests and included in that stretch was a couple of really nice plays where the they the Warriors got a switch they got ostensibly what they wanted a lot of times that was Julius Randle guarding Durant and and Randall did a great job. He he contested without fouling. He kept his kept his feet in place so he didn't get blown by. And they did a wonderful job. I thought Ingram had had some nice moments. Actually, I think we'll spend a fair amount of time talking about Brandon Ingram. And so, yeah, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this game is that the Lakers defense, you know, I, I talked about this a fair amount in Twitter NBA show that I don't think they're the sixth best defense in the league, which is, I think, what they came into this game being ranked. But the idea that like that, oh, this is all luck is absolutely not true. To me, they looked like a top half defense, though we do have to acknowledge that playing without Kyle Kuzma did help that because they were with better defensive lineups overall yeah kuma kuzma as we talked about in the 15 and 60 has struggled defensively so far this season and i think i mean we're talking lakers obviously more in the loss because i thought their performance was the more impressive but steve kerr had some comments after the game saying basically like i didn't think our competitive spirit was great in this game did you feel that way i didn't think that was their biggest problem here i thought that there were a couple where they just didn't get back in transition and i'm that always drives kerr insane but i, I thought there were the lakers Lakers did a nice job of controlling it. KCP, again, somebody you and I have loved defensively for a long time, did a nice job of getting guys off their rhythm. But I didn't think it was a lack of competitiveness compared to some of the other games. Against Sacramento, yeah, you could totally say that, the lack of competitive fire. But this one, not really. I mean, another big factor in this was that, to me, Steph Curry didn't look super comfortable. He had a, a kind of a wrap on his hand. He talked afterwards about how part of the challenge was his ring finger and on his shooting hand. And 
so th- but I did I didn't think of it as much as a shooting issue though he did struggle from the field but he had a couple of turnovers like obviously Curry throws bad passes that's a part of a part of it with him but he had two where he just straight up lost the ball where he was dribbling the ball one where Brandon Ingram was pressuring him and then another one where he just straight up lost it and those sorts of things don't happen that's not a competitive fire issue that's a guy who's playing and is not completely right losing the ball against good defense I thought another thing the Lakers deserved a lot of credit for was how they got back in this game they really were able to especially on steals they gave up zero points off of steals usually the Warriors are deadly running off of those plays so that was very impressive and I mean you can certainly point to the Warriors defense as not being as good as it has been in the past and I thought especially in the first half especially in the second quarter that that Warriors defense really showed me we saw Lakers units that had Andrew Bogut and Corey Brewer out there together and I think Nance was even involved at the same time and like those units actually even were able to score okay and we saw Draymond bring it at times late we saw Katie bring it at times late but Andre Iguodala did not look good he was getting blown by in the first half played a little bit better in the second so it was I agree with Kerr to some degree just that their defense overall has not been at the level of intensity that we've you were used to seeing it with this team uh, and I also thought that the overtime in particular it was just Steph make great shots Katie make great shots you know and that that is I think going to be the formula for this team a lot of the time if they're not winning it with defense if they don't have the same alacrity setting screens and running their offense that they've had at times in past years all right we've got quite a bit more to get to on this game going to do a little mailbag action as well which we had asked you guys for but first this from stamps.com the holidays are always the busiest time of, the, of year. If you want to send presents to your loved ones, for example, stamps.com can help you save time as they have for Danny with his book signing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, one of the challenges of, of dealing with hard copy stuff, which, you know, in our business, we don't always do as much, is that you have to actually mail it. And there are a lot of constraints with that. Mail Post offices are only open certain hours and we have other obligations. And it's it's even if you're available, at that time it's inconvenient you know it's i don't happen to live next to a post office so with my book i've been using stamps.com a lot it's been wonderful because you can just print out your shipping labels from your house you can schedule a pickup and it's it's all rock solid i was uh, you know my friends are getting my when my friends get their books or family or whoever else you know you know that it's going to happen in the right way and you often get it at a cheaper price yeah and they'll send you a digital scale though i guess you've probably figured out how much the book weighs by this point <laughs> when you're you're sending it out but stamps.com if you don't if you've got otter size packages they'll help you decide the best class of mail every time Uh, you can print out postage anytime any day that's always nice for me because uh, i'm doing a lot of work late at night once the show is over and you can schedule your pickups uh, as well right now you too can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and digital scale without long-term commitments go to stamps.com make sure you click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in our code oh yeah it's cap space if you guys had some trouble remembering that uh, since we talk about it all the time on the program that's stamps.com enter code capspace let them know that you came from us what else stuck out to you about this one Danny the fact that both centers who I thought especially Pachulia I thought he did a nice job in this game they both got Keith Bogans they played at the beginning of the game and then did not appear part of that was especially in the Lakers case Julius Randle had a nice game I thought he did did well overall his final line was 20 points 9 of 13 from the field four rebounds two assists I think one of those was on a pretty nice pass then he had one block and 
he did well. They they went to you know, and I thought a lot of the Lakers role players. Josh Hart looked good in this game, but then I think the other big thing that we need to talk about was this was the best game as a finisher that I have ever seen from Brandon Ingram at any level, and that is incredibly encouraging moving forward because that will be a part of his offensive repertoire for his NBA career, however high it goes and however long it runs. Yeah, Ingram thirty two points in forty four minutes. Of course, it went into the OT twelve of. 21 from the field hit his two three-point attempts that was it got to the foul line for seven attempts something he hadn't been doing much of and uh other thing really encouraging for him three steals two blocks uh although certainly there are a plenty of warts on his game which we can discuss but you're right i mean he had two or three finishes against this great rim protecting team the warriors moving the ball around uh showing a little bit more explosiveness getting the extension with those, that seven three wingspan and it really looked good for a guy who had struggled to finish in the restricted area for much of his NBA career. And that also served as a kind of a, a reminder that some of the other shots that he took looked worse because because of the finishing being better. And so what I was thinking about, there were two different stretches in this game where the Lakers had on consecutive possessions, Alonzo Ball three, that was like not not an end of shot clock three, and a Brandon Ingram deep two. I think one time it was in one order, the other time was in the other order. The Lakers, at least early in the clock, need to do better than that. They, they have, they don't have perfect talent yet i mean they're they're still working on it they're going to get better with time but they should like the warriors have had to do and clay thompson still takes some awful shots he took a couple awful ones in this game they need to raise the bar on themselves to say hey we can't settle for this that's a failure of a possession yeah i do appreciate the sentiment they're trying to push the ball and they are coming in the 28th ranked offense in the nba and golden state two pretty piss poor defensive performances by the way against sacramento the 29th ranked offense on monday day and then this one against the Lakers where they really could have been a, a lot better again and I agree with you they're young they could have better shot selection I think Lonzo generally takes good enough shots he doesn't force it he's got to take a few to keep the defense on so we'll talk about his game momentarily um so they'll learn that I think especially you know against this Warriors defense especially with some limited offensive units they probably felt like hey we got to take these shots but um let's get back to Ingram too I mean this was very encouraging game for him on both ends certainly uh but he did have seven turnovers and despite the career high in points he really started feeling his oats in that third quarter to bring them back after golden state surged to start the quarter and lonzo also had a nice personal 8-0 run during that as well um but then he started getting a little happy with the isos and the lakers when teams are switching them they don't really have the experience to do much other than just try to go one-on-one and ingram did that and he had a little bit of success early but then late as they started locking in on him a little bit more he got picked twice in a row uh once by jordan bell once by kavan looney after he had gotten the switch and was trying to cross over in the free throw line area uh, had another time where he had it stolen from behind by steph Curry. so he's not ready yet to be that every down offensive creator and i think when he tries to do that he gets into a little bit of trouble uh he had had a you know two or three possessions in a row where he was able to beat a center and score uh but still against a mobile center against you know guys who are his size going one-on-one is probably not the 
the best thing for him but he showed some potential and certainly his ability to catch on the move get to the rim and finish in this game his jumper was working as well he's got that high release that you know if the ball starts going in the basket for him he could certainly look very good right and to go through a shot chart but important to note yeah. here yeah sorry one more thing important to note though that overall in the season i mean he, his statistics are still relatively subpar although certainly a step up from where he was last year and he is still incredibly young but yeah so in this game he was seven of nine in the restricted area and he got fouled a couple times ended up six of seven from the line which is good uh zero for two in floater range and then three for eight for mid-range and those aren't really strengths for him and of those eight i think probably as i said about like maybe three or four of those were preventable you know in that in that sort of a way and this is a young team that is going to get better and it's going to take some time and with ingram my concern with him even as a, as a draft prospect and i was higher on him than you were partially i think actually it was that we were similar on him i was just lower on guys like jalen brown than you were but i always thought that he wasn't going to be a primary option really on either end of the floor it was just that he looked like a natural support player on both ends and one of the key aspects of that for him is going to be can he shoot enough to keep opposing defenses honest because his drive game has gotten a lot better he deserves a lot of credit for that but as you know if if he has to be at that higher spot on the totem pole he's going to have better defenders on him they're going to know his tendencies better so he could benefit you know if they get high level free agents or something like that but this was certainly encouraging because you need to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that presents themselves and create opportunities too and yeah i thought he did a nice job of both of those today and i think he's actually made bigger strides defensively than right. offensively I would agree with that. this year he, well i would say you know protecting like, the rim taking yeah, up space because his drives also he's not getting knocked off his drives nearly as much and that's a really important part moving forward he's still you know on the thin side but he's stronger than he was last year yeah i mean he looks bigger he looks like he's grown an inch or two his shoulders are are broader uh by the way as i was looking up brendan ingram's stats i came to find that there's another ingram i'm not sure if this is the only other ingram person with the last name ingram it's a pretty common name you would think to ever play in the nba but the other basketball reference option when you type in ingram into the search bar is mccoy ingram also played for the lakers the minneapolis lakers nice in 1958 he was a 26 year old he played 24 games shot 26 percent from the field and 46 six percent from the foul line uh and then uh did not uh go on to play any other nba seasons besides that i was thinking there was a joey ingram but that was actually joey graham who played for the raptors <laughs> there's got to be another ingram it can't just be well because you can spell it a couple different ways oh doesn't look like the other yeah. ways there either we have gone on an aside oh another play that i think we have to talk about especially because it was important late was steph curry got fouled intentionally was at the free throw line with the warriors up i think it was was it three yeah i think it was three uh they were, two. they were up two they're up two yes and yes, Steph Curry is shooting 94% from the free throw line. He's one of the best free throw shooters in the league. The Lakers made a big tactical error and then an execution error. And it didn't cost them the game, but it made it a lot harder for them to win. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess you could say it's a small tactical error because it's a very small thing, right? And the reason that I'm attuned to this is because when I was in high school, I weighed about a buck 70 at six foot six. So I really sucked at boxing out on free throws. I'd always just get pushed under the rim no matter matter how hard I tried to push against the guy and of course the coach would always be livid when you give up a free throw offense real that's never supposed to happen and so I would always like try to find whoever was the skinniest guy in the other team to match up against and have like the power forward because I was the center like get whoever the heftier guy was so I'm always attuned to this and so Draymond Green who's 
at center was the only guy who's going to get an offensive rebound he was matched up with Brandon Inger and Julius Randle who probably had like Andre Iguodala or someone on him or KD guys who aren't going to go get an offensive rebound on a free throw you know it's very small thing right Steph Curry's a 94% free throw shooter you're worried about trying to come down and, and get a three um because yeah I think they were up one Curry made the first and then he, the second one was to put them up three uh and so Randle should have switched and boxed out Green instead it was Ingram who was playing at the four he got shoved in the back by Green legally under the basket Green was able to get a tip and knock it out and then uh, Andre Iguodala did a nice job of beating KCP to the loose ball they got it to Steph they, they missed a chance to follow Iguodala there too and Steph hit two free throws to put him up four and end the game and wasted about 15 seconds someone actually tweeted me that Luke Walton screwed up because he didn't put in guys to just you know big guys who would just get the defensive rebound and my response to that is well you know I think number one he probably wanted to just push it and go number two you're do you really want to waste a time out there just to get those guys out of the right, game especially- again because you could yeah, yeah so so the other tactical part of that of why you, you had they had a single timeout why you don't want to use it then is because if you shoot and you miss you need to use that timeout to advance the ball and so you don't want to burn it at that point also teams yeah. aren't settling or, or if you have to shoot it too right i mean obviously you should be going for the three to tie sometimes though you just have to take the two and then you need that foul again or, or that timeout to play the foul game and also i think frankly like if you're going for a three you're better off not calling a timeout uh because you're just the other team doesn't necessarily know time and scores well they're not being told in the huddle okay we're gonna switch everything etc um uh, also uh, of note the last play of regulation when ingram missed uh, draymond green said oh yeah i know he's going right every time that's how i contested that shot uh they actually did take steph curry out of the game they put in pat mccaw instead anticipating potentially that they were going to go at uh they're going to go at steph curry and it looked like that's what they did or was the plan and instead they ended up getting clay thompson onto ingram and uh ingram drove but uh wasn't able to finish over green um another key play in this and we'll talk about Lonzo's game in a second another key play in this was the Lakers up three with under a minute to go the Warriors ran an action they like to run for Clay Thompson a lot I I call it the I'm sure there's a better name for it but it's basically like I call it like the T play because it's kind of like a flex action or a floppy action really more of a floppy action except the option isn't to curl out either side it's to either come out one side or to break up towards the free throw line for a three-pointer and they'll run it for south they'll run it for clay they'll run it for kd they ran it for kd this time the lakers were switching everything lonzo was got switched on to kd after the first back screen and then kd decided to run up to the top Clarkson, who was guarding Iguodala, Iguodala set the screen and Clarkson did not react. Lonzo went to switch on to Iguodala. That probably should have been Clarkson popping out, although, you know, it's one of those plays where is it really a screen? Was there contact? Do you switch? Do you not switch? And they got KD the wide open three because Lonzo stayed to switch on to Iguodala, then realized Clarkson wasn't going out there and was too late then on to KD and he hit that shot to tie it. That was really the biggest shot of the game. Yeah, you're right. And and you mentioned it before, but I just want to take a second to the, those two shots Durant hit in overtime you Curry's shots were cleaner this the third three was a little bit tougher but the first two were were you know one was Alonzo miscommunication I can't remember the other one but those two that Durant hit over Ingram were ridiculous those were just good defense Kevin Durant being Kevin Durant 
Yeah, the second one in particular oh. when he was because Ingram the first time he let him go left uh, and that's where KD likes to go. So this time he didn't let him go left and didn't make him put it on the floor though. And KD just hit this impossible fadeaway to his right, which was just a completely insane shot that we were marveling about on the the Twitter NBA show. Uh, you want to talk about Lonzo's game a little bit here? Sure. So that eight zero run that you mentioned before was really the highlight for him. He took two threes with confidence and made those, and then had a nice finish. So. It was an 8-0 run that assuaged some of the fears. He also did make two free throws, which is another big problem that he has had over the course of the season. One game is not enough to cure what ails him, but it was nice to see positives in the areas where we needed to see it. I thought he looked, you know, for the most part, I thought he did a decent job defensively. It was notable that a lot of the miscues that happened were on him to a point. He was involved in it, whether it was his fault or not, sometimes could be hard to know, but I thought he played a good game overall. Yeah, and I thought one of the things that we've commented on before with this Lakers team, and Lonzo did a nice job of that, I thought KCP is really big with this too. Larry Nance, when he was in there, did a nice job when he was guarding KD. Is they just, you feel this Lakers defense more than you did in past years when you could just do whatever you wanted to. And they deny, they forced you a step or two further out on the floor than you normally would be running your offense. They have more ball pressure. I really think that KCP has has been a a big part of changing the culture of their perimeter defense, which, you know, even Clarkson was someone who was out there. I, I thought he had a nice game. He provided really some needed shot creation for this Lakers team it was basically he and Ingram uh trying to run things from the perimeter late because uh, ball really he's so easily switchable when you have good defenders like he's not gonna be able to create anything in an isolation against this Warriors team so Clarkson does still play a, a, an important role in this Lakers team especially with Kuzma out um but ball you know he had some great passes like the one where he caught Draymond napping and found Julius Randle with a three-quarter court pass after a make was an incredible play he had another play where they kind of weren't really guarding him that much a pick and roll and he still got a great window to find Brooklyn Lopez for an and one floater he did have 10 assists those are probably the two most impressive that I saw and then you know he was able to hit the shot now there are a bunch of times going right where he just didn't have it one time too at the end of the half right like he caught the ball in the right corner was open and just because his footwork is kind of weird and his release is so low he just couldn't take the shot and ended up not getting a shot off at all other times when he went right would throw up a pretty awkward floater or just didn't really feel comfortable with it so I, I think he's working on it before games but he's got to just kind of train himself out of this funky way that he shoots at least when he's on the move you know and he took one jumper going to his right he missed it didn't look that comfortable but at least he's I mean I think he's trying to like got to rewire his brain basically to do stuff going to his right and not bring the ball up way on the left side of his body it's going to take some time but there is such a great incentive to do it because he does so many other things well his passing ability is just spectacular I mean he that pass he threw with the window with Brook Lopez was super narrow got it to him and Lopez got an and one and never had to drop the ball down because he got it right in the in the correct place and you know defensively he did have those miscues he's a good rebounder he didn't have many in this game he only had two but yeah I mean there's a there's a lot to like about Lonzo and the flaws are significant and we've talked about them at length something else I wanted to discuss when we're talking about flaws is this was one of the at least in the first half but I would say overall one of the worst defensive games I've seen from Andre Iguodala he part of because he was on faster guards a couple times he got blown by at least three times in that first half yeah and and 
I think we mentioned this before on the show but on Saturday night he had some comments about basically yeah you know my knee has been bothering me he was actually doubtful for Monday and then ended up playing and Kerr has said he's got to get him some rest on this road trip and I agree um so for Andre I think he's dealing with some knee soreness and there are games now and I think as you get older you there's still days where you feel good but there are more days when you don't feel good and this was a day when he clearly did not feel good and you can tell with him when he doesn't feel that good because especially like getting over screens right like he'll sort of get hung up on screens he'll just kind of grab guys you know he won't really try to fight through and so that's really the thing to watch for him a lot and just even when he first comes in the game if he looks kind of creaky like you can tell a little bit he said hey you know what i can go out there i'm a smart guy i've been playing basketball for a very long time was his quote on saturday but something to watch there i mean they have some other guys uh the Warriors center rotation as well Kevon Looney did not play that well Jordan Bell did uh JaVale McGee Bell took his minutes at the end of the first and third quarters and and I expect that to continue as Curtis said yeah we got to get some more time for this guy and then Bell actually even replaced Looney in his stint with David West out Uh, so I think we could then even see now that when West returns maybe we'll see Looney squeezed out a little bit too because and Looney struggled today to finish around the rim uh was only able to catch a, a couple of times as well so bell i think is a better player than him he's looney's been a nice story to to be in the rotation but you know he's especially because he had that rookie option decline he doesn't have as much of a future in golden state and bell is just so much more athletic so much more of a pure center as well It'd be interesting to see bell he had one time where he's matched up on brooke lopez and lopez uh was able to score on the right block against him lopez actually really likes the right block which is rare for a right-handed player even going back to his days at stanford when brooke lopez would set up on the left block and lopez would set up on the right block every time but interesting to see whether bell can actually guard true centers in the post because he doesn't have that level of heft so we may not ever see him as a starting player unless he can get a lot stronger you know they may always have kind of a zaza guy to get the keith bogans and then they'll close the half with bell maybe a lot of times or you know give him more minutes in the meat of the game as his career evolves a couple other just quick rotation things that i found interesting this was the second consecutive game where even though clay thompson came out with four minutes to go in the first quarter he still didn't play with the second unit they had nick young out there and you know young was okay he was three for five in his in his return game against the lakers but that wasn't they didn't keep him in instead of clay because i don't think it was because he was playing well they just gave clay extra extra rest and that ended up being valuable because the the overtime he ended up playing 39 minutes but it is worth watching because it's two games in a row and he has been a guy who hasn't had as much of the rest kind of stuff and we don't know if he's dealing with anything or anything like that but i just yeah, found well it he did appear to sprain his ankle that's true. during Chelsea the game. And so that's yeah. uh was was working on him, and so we'll see. he looked fine towards the end there. But we'll see whether uh you know he ends up having it swell up and needing to to miss some time as well. Um, anything else Lakers related before we move on uh, to the mailbag here? Well, I nothing Lakers related, but I feel like we we have to take a quick second to talk about not in this game, but the NBA history that was made tonight. Then that was in the part of the tw- the part of the Sixers Wizards game that you and I did not do for the Twitter NBA show because we turned off the. Oh, Thank God we didn't. We turned off the broadcast. Thank God we didn't. Oh yeah, we when it was a twenty point lead at halftime and had a had a nice dinner. We saw a historic version of Hacka Simmons. So Washington went to in the fourth quarter. They started fouling Pat Simmons, who I think at that point he had only taken like four free throws in the entire game, something like that. And he took twenty four free throws in the fourth quarter, which was an NBA record, is an NBA record, breaking twenty by Dwight Howard and Ben Wallace. 
in obviously separate games. And then he made 12 of those 24, though that was part of the time when the Wizards narrowed the lead substantially. They were, it was a 48-34 fourth quarter, but history is history. Yeah. Let the record show, by the way, that silence is going to get edited out, but you tried to set me up to talk about that and I had no idea what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> Thank God I had already forgotten about that. Um, Yeah. And I guess he was intentionally followed more than any other player in Kevin Pelton's database, uh, aside from DeAndre Jordan, but a bunch of DeAndre, no, or, no, I'm there, sorry, there was aside Andre from Drummond. Andre Drummond. Yeah, from the, yeah, from yeah, the uh, Houston. The KJ McDaniels game. Yeah, where they put in KJ McDaniels and it didn't make any sense because they're just like, oh, we're going to foul Andre Drummond like as soon as he comes in bounds, but like foul him the first four times to get into the bonus right at the start of the half. It was amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, so those fouls weren't necessarily shooting fouls, but that was, those counted uh, in KP's database as uh, intentional fouls. Because yeah, he got fouled but, 13 but, times, I believe. Intentionally fouled yeah, 13 and, times. And, and ironic that Adam Zilver, who would probably would like to actually eliminate that and had to go with this, you know, last two minutes and all of the quarters thing uh, as a compromise with the competition committee because, you know, GMs and coaches really have the health of the game uh, in mind. Although they have done a nice job with the uh, the continuation uh, shooting foul problem. But nonetheless, not great. I'd much rather see Ben Simmons play basketball. And while it did help the Wizards, I mean, I think it's, it's a good play, especially when you're down by a lot. You get yourself more possessions and then you can score 48 points in the quarter. Um, but in general, the hope will be at least that Simmons, who I think it was shooting 56% coming in, uh, will be able to forestall that strategy. Yeah, and so he ended up 15 of 29 from the free throw line. And with, so, that, so that got a line of, of 31 points, 18 rebounds, four assists. So that will be nice for his eventual box score, like, you know, for the people who do that, do that sort of thing. Um, and the other thing I'll mention, just because I was thinking about it with Ben Simmons, is that we're going to do an awards pod because people have been asking us a lot about that. And we'll talk about this at the end of the show, but also that we're going to do an awards pod that will be tomorrow's show. So we'll talk about some of the things that we actually haven't talked about a lot on the podcast so far. Yeah, looking forward to doing that. All right, we'll hit these mailbag questions momentarily. But first, this holiday message from our friends at Movement Watches. Holiday shopping can be tough. I've never been one who's a particularly imaginative gift giver. But thanks to Movement Watches, all of that gift-giving anxiety can disappear with the press of a button. <sighs> These watches make the perfect purchase for just about anyone in your life, and they start at a mere $95. And, of course, you're going to get a 15% discount uh, by entering that slash catspace URL, movement.com, mvmt.com, slash catspace with free shipping and free returns. These watches are fantastic for men or women. I would just encourage you to go to that movement.com slash catspace url and just check out what their inventory is and check out the prices and i think you'll be very impressed with the beautiful styled minimalism of these watches and what you can get and you know if you don't like it all right fine you know we did our job by sending you there <laughs> at least uh but i really think you will find something like i really like their 40 series which is a little bit smaller I've, i have haven't worn a watch in a long time so i like having that slightly smaller one it's uh i've enjoyed that my mom actually has one she bought movement watches as gifts for my cousins as well, her nieces. And if you're an international listener, it's a great way to support the pod as well. I know a lot of our sponsors are not available internationally, 
but they have sold over 1 million watches in 160 countries. Once again, go to movement.com, mvmt.com slash capspace, join the movement. All right, we got uh, some mailbag questions here. Where would you like to start, Mr. LaRue? We'll start with one from Trevor Who, which I think was an interesting question because of what it presumes, which is that if LeBron James stays in Cleveland, how much longer will the Cleveland Cavaliers be the favorites to win the Eastern Conference? Okay, so that is beyond this year. Do we still believe they are the favorites this year? I concur, especially since they've been playing a little better lately defensively, and LeBron is still just at the absolute top of his game. I mean, some of these games that he's had recently are completely ridiculous. Uh, But so next year, Isaiah Thomas is a free agent. They also have that Brooklyn pick, but, you know, who knows who they're going to draft there necessarily. Whoever they draft, almost certainly, you know, let's say it's the fifth pick, sixth pick, something like that. Whoever they draft is not someone who is going to be able to help them next year. I think that's pretty unlikely um, that that player is going to be able to contribute at a championship level next year. Certainly not, you know, as a starter type of player. Dwayne Wade could be a free agent. I mean, maybe he'd stick around for another year if things go well this year. Why not? You know, he's playing with his buddy uh, as long as he doesn't get hurt. Uh, You know, I don't know how much he's helping them at this point. Kevin Love will still be around. He'll be a year older. So will LeBron. I mean, we wondered whether this would be the year for LeBron that he would start to fall off he sprained his ankle early had a couple of bad games early and we're like oh maybe this is it and uh no no actually it's not it uh he looks pretty damn good so far we'll see what happens in the playoffs but uh he really has continued to be incredible so you know presume he's gonna be a top five player again next year and Gordon Hayward will be back at that point. I mean, I think if they get him and, you know, Kyrie presumably will be a little better. Horford, you know, will have fallen off more, but Tatum, Brown uh, in Boston, maybe there'll be a trade for another star as well. Um, They probably will not have another pick. I'm looking like the Lakers will be out of the top five, so that pick probably rolls over to the Kings pick the next year uh, that they got in the Fultz trade. Given all that, I think then the big question becomes, A, do you think that this team, maybe if they re-sign Isaiah for, you know, whatever reasonable salary, if he's kind of, you know, uh, think of him as becoming more akin to a solid bench scorer type than like a big star like he was last year going forward. Uh, let's say they retain him. Let's say they don't add anything significant next year. Are they the favorites next year? Unless LeBron falls off, I, th- I think they probably are if they retain Isaiah. But so to me, there are two flashpoints. Well, first of all, I'll answer that question, then I'll go on my little thing. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably right that they would be. I mean, you just, you know, and this is what I've been saying about LeBron is that, you know, if, if every year there's a 25% chance that this is the year that he drops off saying that, yeah, any individual year is going to be the one where he really just doesn't, isn't the same guy anymore you know, is not the smart bet. But once you start getting three years away from now or two years away, then yeah, it becomes, you know, more than 50% likely perhaps it is going to fall. So I think probably my gut is, and we could talk more about some of the variables, is that next year they probably would be at least the preseason favorites. We also don't know what Hayward's going to look like. Maybe his career is going to be changed by that dislocated ankle injury. Well, um, so so then that leads into the other pivot points for me. So obviously Isaiah Thomas is a huge one of those, but it's possible that the market just isn't there for him and that he could come back. And I would assume that if LeBron returns, it's going to be on another one of those one plus one or something like that. You know, if this whole thing changes, if he would theoretically agree to like a three-year contract because the other two swing points are the Brooklyn pick because if he like theoretically did that sort of thing come back well then maybe you trade that for an established guy because you want to ride that wave as long as you can then the second thing is they have very limited means other than the Brooklyn pick to improve and they need more perimeter players especially forward not not as 
especially forwards, but like w- w- swingmen. That's the term I use for shooting guards and small forwards in the worst way. They need more guys that can play and specifically that can play against the best of the best. And the yeah, and J.R. Smith, I mean, he has not been good this year. He's someone where I think by next year in particular, expecting him to still contribute as the level of a quality starting two guard, you're probably that's probably being a little optimistic there by that point. And that's going to be his age 33 season. And, you know, other than Chetty Osman, they don't have many other even lottery tickets there. And they might be able to get guys for the minimum. I think they're going to be more in the Jeff Green, Derek Rose class, where it's, you know, guys that would have fit that bill a couple years before, but injuries and age push them out of it. Yeah. It's to be a tight market, though. Maybe people, more people will be available for the minimum than we yeah, think. Yeah, that's possible, but th- we'll see what the other what the other availabilities for the minimum are. But of course, in this case, LeBron's going back to Cleveland, so who knows? But I think that those things, especially since we're only talking about the East, because the the Celtics are the primary team here, because the Sixers, I th- I still think it'll be another like year or two for them. The Bucks still have to figure out a lot. The Wizards, you know, maybe, and the Raptors. I I I don't think it would take such a sea change for me to take a, a Raptors team over Cleveland, it, you know, unless LeBron totally falls off. So it is really the Celtics and the Celtics do have a lot of ways to get better. You brought up the idea of the sliding over to the Kings pick, but I could also totally see them using that as for, for the second year in a row after getting Kyrie as ammunition to get a guy who would make them better in the immediate. Maybe it would be an Anthony Davis trade. Maybe it would be something else. And they, they could cash in that chip at that point. But, you know, that hasn't really been Danny Inge's style unless the right guy is available. Okay, next question here. Garrett Catalana, who uses the hashtag SBC student like he doesn't know, uh, or like I don't know who he is. Of course, I know who you are, Garrett. Uh, for teams who are below the salary floor yet act as over-the-cap teams like the Bulls and Mavs, do they have to physically spend whatever money is left to, to get to the floor? And the answer to that is that basically they have to write a check to the players on their team if at the end of the season they have not reached the floor or if in fact they have not paid the players on their team the salary floor as well. Because remember what the trick used to be was, oh, we'll start off way below the salary floor, two thirds of the way through the season of the trade deadline, we'll take on dead money. And then, you know, not dead money, you guys, you have to pay but you know a JaVale McGee or something like the Sixers did and then oh we'll have to pay him for a third of the year but nominally our cap number is above the floor now you can't do that anymore you have to actually have paid out that amount of money and so if you have not there's no mega consequences basically you have to pay the players on your team whatever the shortfall is in a manner to be determined by the players association which generally is understood that it's probably going to be pro rata but the players association gets to decide that and so that's what ends up happening anything to add there danny or are we are we good on that uh just briefly to to cl- to make sure that it's rock solid in there that for for teams the the floor is related to the actual money paid it's not about none of the chips and tricks work anymore which is a good idea and something else to watch for the nick for sorry not for the Knicks for the bulls is that they have about 3.8 million left in their mid-level exception if they make it through the trade deadline and haven't used like however whether because they, what they've been doing why they've stayed over is with the jimmy butler trade exception if they still have that money i would think it would be a smart move to try to do something creative with giving a player maybe a buyout guy or something else money and maybe a, a non-guarantee or something in the next year to use some of that that would get them closer to the floor it's basically free money for them and then they can build in some sort of 
asset for the next season. Vincent Lin asks, what skill do you feel is most underrated or underappreciated in today's game? My A number one, and I think this is actually underappreciated by players too, is screening. Screening is so vital. Good screens help make so many things happen. And I don't know if you were watching, uh, I think it was the, yeah, it was the Wizards T-Wolves game and Jim Peterson did his like Jim's top five on screeners. And it was inspired because the number one was Marcin Gorsat. And what I realized was there just aren't that many great screeners in the league, but they provide so much value in a league full of guys that could shoot off the dribble, like where that's becoming more common. It's such a big competitive advantage and th- it's essential. And what, what gets lost in it, and I was not a big guy like you, so I can't speak to this from personal experience, is that in the modern NBA and in college ball too, setting a good screen often opens up the screener for a good look, whether that's pick and pop or whether that's a rule guy, because it forces the opposing team to scramble. Yeah, not only that, screening was the number one thing that I thought of as well, but also more creative screening that we're seeing now whether it's coming off a floppy action the guy's already beat you know you have to switch so Draymond Green is a master at this he'll screen his own guy he got Lonzo who was switched on to him on that off a jump ball or screening off the help as well is another thing that you could do Gortat in that same game had a play where he actually screened his own man who was could have been in help position and just yelled for Bradley Beal, hey, drive right past Tyus Jones and just got him a layup that way because Beal was able to beat him and Jones was expecting help. So little plays like that, in addition to making contact, being able to set an illegal screen and not get called for it. You know, Al Horford's another guy like that. He'll kind of, you know, get his elbow out a little bit in an area where he knows the referee can't see it. And especially if you have like good shooters too, you know, that, that could really be important if the other team isn't switching. Although we probably are at a point in the NBA because there's so much more switching where a great screener is less important unless you're a pure center being guarded by a pure center who can't switch. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right because it, it in a, in a switch, a really good screen does provide a lot less value. Yeah, that that is a, that is a fair point, but I still think it's a great way to 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 get things open and to to create opportunities, and of course, using the creative ones you talked about. The next thing that comes to mind for me, finishing at the rim and the ability to go up for alley-oops, suck the defense in to actually be able to finish layups when, and I'm talking more about, you know, finishing plays that others are creating. You know, obviously I don't think like being able to drive to the basket and finish the way Kyrie Irving does. That's not an underrated skill. I'm talking about you throw it to a guy under the basket and you know, he's going to score or get fouled every single time. And there actually are not that many of those guys you know got big guys who just you know know how to finish around the rim can get up for alley-oops as well you know i've actually been very impressed with jordan belt's finishing by the way uh with his ability to move the ball around and dunk on people as well uh, you know there are not that many guys who are just that amazing at finishing and so the ability to just receive a pass go up and dunk and not blow the finish there are not that many guys who are just awesome at that in the league and when you find one where you every time you throw it to him, you know that it's down and he's going to catch the ball as well. Like that's a, a very valuable skill, and especially if the guy can go up and get alley oops uh, and really suck that backside defender in, uh, opening up the corner three on the weak side. I, I agree with that. My second one was g- players that can make quick decisions and quick reactions. I, I've you know covered Draymond Green's whole career. That's been something I think that's made him a special defensive player. He is also more agile than a lot of guys his size, but those. Re- 
reactions. And I mean, that's LeBron is is a, a real king of this. And it's not only seeing things before they happen, but as things are happening to be able to read it to make that pass. And those are those give you a little bit a little bit more latitude, you know, maybe in certain help situations and everything else like that. And it's also so hard to quantify, but it's incredibly valuable. Yeah, and the guys who can't do that, you know, a, a Serge Ibaka, for example, uh, was really exposed in the Cleveland series. Gerald that Green. Way. Um, last thing that I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Gerald Green makes quick decisions. <laughs> he just makes the same decision That's every true. time. Um, Last one that I had, help defense uh, with smaller players. You know, that's not something that's talked about as much like you're not going to have a guy come over and block a shot like Steph Curry or Tyus Jones, who's been getting a crap ton of steals lately uh, as he's been starting. He's averaging four steals a game over his last four games, I think, since he's been in the starting lineup. Um, And then the guys who don't provide that, you know, Avery Bradley, why is his defense maybe a little bit overrated? Because you don't see the plays. And, and, And I mean, there's so many plays that help defense just deters right whether it's a drive because you're gapping off of a guy who can't shoot or whether there's a a lob to a post player who's fronting that doesn't happen because you're there you know or some other drive that's deterred or a a post post up that doesn't happen because the guy has to pass it out because you helped but you didn't really help and you're able to get back to your guy I mean those are the little things that people don't really see uh, that are huge and especially among smaller players guys smaller players can really contribute off the ball they can even you know even if you're a six five guy if you jump and try to you know be vertical and and bother a shot like most finishers you're actually going to cause problems for them even if they're bigger than you if you have even some modicum of size and you're going to jump so just getting into position and getting your chest on a guy is huge even if you're undersized compared to you know a seven foot behemoth shot blocker type i had one related to that but i'm going to save it for the last question are you ready to move on to that because it's it's so similar so uh, the question is who are the players that you think stats both counting in advance tend to overrate or underrate and what is it about them that the stats miss and so for me, the big one here, and these are often guys that are that do well with elements like defensive RPM sometimes, are players yeah. who change and alter a lot of shots. So Rudy Gobert is great at this. During the game, as we were doing the first half of Sixers Wizards, I was commenting that at that point, at an early point in the game, Joel Embiid had zero blocks, but he had made a whole bunch of auto porter misses because he was making either either affecting the shot by like forcing a higher arc on it or just having him shoot earlier. You know, like that, that there was that whole part in uh in the nylon calculus rim protection and stuff that I loved so much where it was about deterrence and the idea that you know that the teams are taking worse shots and it is very very hard to quantify some of that stuff statistically you know maybe using second spectrum and sport view you can get some of it because it's not just like the shots you defend at the rim it's the shots you don't have to defend at the rim is there anyone specific that comes to mind to you that's particularly uh overrated or underrated by statistical analysis I mean certainly you know you can look at like the box score stats and someone like Ennis Cancer who always looks real real good in those i think everyone realizes that you know he's not the seventh best player in the nba or whatever he's been but by per these last few years um i think in terms of type two just how damaging it is that guys can't shoot but really if you're looking at enough stats you can find it you know i mean you could find some kind of an argument to support what you're saying right like robertson okay you know maybe the thing that guys who are overrated is you know the guy who shoots 35 percent 
from three-point range, but does it on one attempt per game and still doesn't get guarded. You know what I mean? I think that's really, but you know, usually that's going to show up in the fact that like your offensive on-off is not going to be as good. Um, the other thing too is just guys who happen to play with other great players and you know maybe it won't show up as much in the on-off due to that. Yeah, so something else in terms of the statistical thing, and we've talked about this a couple of times before is players who models don't respect because most of the players who fit that statistical profile aren't good so like a great example of this is clay thompson's defense so clay thompson doesn't get steals he doesn't get blocks he doesn't really get defensive rebounds either but he's a very good man-to-man defender he he has versatility because he can defend ones and twos pretty well and you know to a point avery bradley's there though avery bradley gets overrated in other ways and so those type of players like they don't do all when Bradley had that monster defensive rebounding year last year, but those players don't do well in it because most of the guys who are who don't get many steals and don't get many blocks aren't good defenders, and so models like RPM are going to go with the overall opinion, and they should. If you you know that's the the di- the difficulty there is that not every player is the same, not every situation is the same. So those types of guys, and on the reverse, you know, they're whether it's with the box score prior or just you know certain big guys that there are assumptions that can sometimes be made for them when they're bigger guys that aren't affected shots so like for me this, a guy like this is my, is mason plumley so like mason plumley does not deter shots at all at the rim because people know that he's not going to really affect it so even though he's big and he uh, he can his deep rebounding is actually overrated a little bit but he can do that he's not impacting the other the game as much at his position and there aren't really many guys at the four that can do it so you lose that advantage yeah and really i mean uh, other than defense for a few guys mostly small guys who like clay you know maybe don't put up a ton of boxers has like tayshawn prince would have been another guy probably you know if we had had more advanced stats back in his heyday where he wasn't getting a ton of steals or blocks but if you watch the way he defended kobe Bryant in the 2004 finals you know that he was a pretty good one-on-one defense player for example um but other than that, I mean, if you're using the stats correctly, you're probably going to be able to find a pretty good idea. It's just a question of, you know, are you using the right stats? Are you looking at the right stuff? Are you using your eyes to direct you to the relevant statistics? You know, those are all uh, questions that are important here. All right, we done? Yeah, I'll do a couple of promo things. So, of course, I have a lot of material on Warriors Lakers, Warriors Watch podcast and, and the athletic stuff. But also I wrote a piece for the CBA Encyclopedia at Real GM today on the now over 38 rule. It's something I'd wanted to do for a while. I originally started actually when the whole Nene drama happened, but then I I didn't get around to finishing it until a couple days ago. So that is a part of it. And that's a a nice resource. My idea with it has always been to try to take a a concept that can sometimes be a complicated nut to crack and do my best to explain it in a way that is relevant. So it doesn't get through all the minutiae. I actually let Larry Kuhn do some of the heavy lifting there because you can read the CBA FAQ, but you can check that out. And it's a, a permanent resource that real gm it was so cool that they wanted to do that they're like yeah this will be on our site forever so there's we're working on redoing the title page and everything like that but the over 38 rule is the new one and there have been i think three new ones three new entries in the last five weeks or something like that yeah well you make sure you add daryl morey and uh, nanae's agent uh, on that too sorry sorry daryl you know we, we think you do a great job that was uh, that was an aberration but I, I had to make that joke all right we'll be back tomorrow gonna do our awards podcast so stay tuned for that that'll take you into the weekend have a good thursday Talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.